You're tuned into the October Recovery Podcast. My name is AJ. I'm not an addiction counselor, specialist, or professional. On this podcast, you'll hear discussion regarding 12-step recovery programs and how they have impacted our lives. However, the podcast is not a promotion or an endorsement of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. The opinions shared on this show are those of the individual speaker. If you or someone you love is suffering from addiction and needs help, call Recovery Centers of America, 1-855-487-9626. The email is recoverycentersofamerica.com. There you will find detox, inpatient, and outpatient services in Danvers, Westminster, Mass., Maryland, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. Another recovery option is Banyan Treatment Center, started by pro skateboarder Brendan Novak. Locations are Pennsylvania, Chicago, four locations in Florida, and one in Wilmington, Massachusetts. Also, help with addiction can be found at Foundations Recovery Network at 1-877-714-1318. October Recovery Podcast, Episode 13. coming up to see me. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so grateful. My spot. So we're here to um, talk a little bit about recovery. Yeah. Living a sober life. Um, We talked before, you and I, about uh, sobriety dates Mm -hmm. and the importance of of sharing that for people who may need it. Um, I have a sobriety date November 23rd, 2012. Mm Mm-hmm. And like we, we said earlier, you know, I share this so to give hope to somebody somebody who's out there who's listening who quite frankly is hopeless like I was, you know. For somebody who may be hopeless like I was, you know, there is hope in the fellowship mm-hmm. being around people who are like you. Yes. So you're you're you have a new new life going on. I do, I do. My sobriety date's December 29th, twenty uh, eighteen. Okay. So um, I just celebrated five months. Yes. Um, yeah. Sober. Yeah. Clean. Yeah. Good for you. Um, good for you. So yeah, it's it's a definitely a new life I never dreamed was possible. A new life, but you're still doing fun stuff. I, oh yeah. I texted you the other day. Yes. Ab- and, yes. Uh, and mm-hmm. you were going to the, were you? <laughs> the Bruins game. Yeah. I went to game one. Yeah. Um, it was really an awesome time. But unfortunately, I think my voice has suffered a little bit no. from it. But you're good. <laughs> you're good. We'll we'll work through it. How was that? It was it was awesome. Um, it's such a gift to be able to do things like that and not be ruled by how quickly I can get to the bar mm. to get my next drink. Yeah. Um, and just kind of sit back and enjoy the game and know that I'll remember every moment. Um, be able to go with my sister who, you know, had a few drinks and, and just have the freedom not to um, 
have to worry about, you know, getting my next drink or having to leave in a moment of the game just to go up to the bar to get another drink. Um, that's a new, new thing for me. And when you told me that, I was kind of like, oh, oh, yeah, she went that, to the hornet's nest. Oh, you yeah. know, but everybody's different. You sure. know, you immediately were like. Just what you said. I had a good time. I mean, it sounds like you were you were with your dad. I was with my sister. Okay, my sister. Right. They're my dad's sister. tickets. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I went with my sister. Yeah, um, we have a history of going to games over the years together. And yeah, it was it was a great experience. And um, yeah, it was good. It was good. When I because I, I I said to you, I mentioned a concert I went to early on at, mm. at the garden, and um. I remember it, and I was all like, we walked in there, I was probably, I don't know, maybe a year sober, and all I noticed was the advertisements mm. for Sam Adams, which was Harpoon, which was my favorite, and I like couldn't take my eyes off the advertisements. I do pray a lot of the time for um, for immunity from you know having to, to feel any certain way when I see those kinds of things, because... When I, you know, got sober, I, I realized that if I couldn't have fun or be exposed to any of the things that I would see in normal life, alcohol is everywhere. It's not, there's no place you can go and run away from it. It's it's pretty much everywhere in all the places that I like to go. Um, so I had to pray that I would be okay and I would have uh, a sense of indifference towards it in those situations. And that's kind of what I've gotten. I'm surrounded by people in my life that, that do drink and can drink in safety. So luckily for me, I just, you know, I prayed that that would be okay for me. And so far, so good. So, yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's good. I mean, like, and that's, that's, everybody's different. Yeah. You know, I, um, and you'll hear different things. You know, that's the beauty of the fellowship is, Somebody, you know, we're all trying to give good advice and somebody may have a little bit of different advice that they think might work for you. And other people might have advice that think this way might work for you. Yeah. And you sort of take what you think. And you I mean, ultimately, you know yourself best. I remember Paul, you know, Paul, he's been chairing the meeting. In, yeah. In May. Yes. And uh, he, he is a big part of my sobriety. OK. And I was going to go to a Patriots playoff game in 2000. I was just sober. 2012. Yeah. And it was a Sunday morning. I was at our meeting, and uh, it was after the meeting. He's like, "So what's up, dude? What are you, what are you doing today?" I'm like, "I'm going to the Pats game." He's like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! That's a hornet's nest. I don't know if you want to go there." Mm -hmm. And I was going with a friend, a good friend, and I was not like I was kind of like you, you know what I mean? But he was just giving me good advice. I ended up going, mm -hmm. and I was good. I did. We did go. My buddy, I drove. We we sat in the in the bar area, like the Funway Cap, one of the places down in Foxborough. And I was looking at the booze. I was I was, you know, new in sobriety, but um, I got through it. But it's funny. Like, if I'm being honest, if somebody came up to me newly sober, like if you had come up to me Monday and said you were going to the game, I probably would have passed on to you what Paul did. It doesn't make it. It doesn't make it right. Sure. Sure. But that's. That's why we have each other, and that's why it's great that I see you networking with so many people. Like, yeah, at, at these at that meeting. Yeah, and I think um, you know earlier on in my sobriety, maybe like a month or so in, um, it would have been a little bit more tricky. But if I'm being completely honest, I prayed from the get go to for the obsession to be removed, AJ, and it was pretty quickly for me. I realized how quickly the shift was early on in sobriety, and so I. It, it really 
didn't doesn't affect me. I'd say like seeing people drunk is more of impacts me more than seeing an a bottle of booze or a beer in front of me. Um, that to me gives me a little bit more of a you know icky feeling. Uh, right, is seeing the drunk you know, behaviors, because that brings back b- bad memories. Sure. But yeah, but no desire. I'm not like clinging to or, you know, my eyes don't go right to the bottle. It's more like, wow, that person's drunk. Like I it brings up some bad memories for me. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Because <laughs> uh, I'm telling you, when I was six months sober, yeah, I remember going to a party and my MO was I would walk in, you know, later on at the end of my my drinking days and the first thing I would do is I would look and find see where all the booze was mm. and then I would figure out how I can get it out of the kitchen because everybody's in the kitchen so I can sneak it yeah. and have it on my own because I don't drink like other people do. I, I think I, I was that way for many, many years in trying to get sober, but this last time has been completely different experience for me. Yeah, so. I want to hear about it. So I want to, because it sounds like you know, you're you're on it you, today. You're in a good spot, Lauren. Yeah. I mean, I hear you share, and, and it sounds like you're doing well. So I want to mm-hmm. hear. I want to hear how you got there. I want to hear about, um, you know, how you grew up, and I'd, I'd love to hear your story. Sure. So, um, I had probably one of the best upbringings I think you could probably have. Uh, two solid parents who loved me very much. A younger sister. I grew up in Groton, Mass., so not a lot of bad things going on there, kind of in the middle of uh, the sticks out there in the countryside. Um, played a lot of sports growing up. I played three sports competitively, traveled around the country a little bit playing sports growing up, and uh, yeah, and had a bunch of friends, um, did well in school. So for on the outside, I think it looked like, you know, I was on the the track uh, for success in life, I guess you could say. Three sport athlete. Yeah, I'm talking to a three sport athlete. Yeah, jock, uh, a jock. I have a jock in like, the house. Just like everybody else in AA, I think. Well, what were your sports? I'm um, soccer, basketball, and softball. And they were pretty good. Like you were, were you very competitive? I was pretty competitive. I mean, I played club soccer. Soccer was really my sport. So, um, was captain of my club soccer team for many years. So leadership, kind of stepping into those kind of roles, has always been something that I've I've done in my life. Um, um, and yeah, I just had a lot of fun doing it. Frankly, I, I think the social aspect of it, of the whole sports thing um, was one of the biggest draws for me, wanting to be hanging out with people. Um, I certainly identify as an extrovert. So I'm, you know, I'm getting energy from being around other people, other like-minded people. So as a young girl playing sports, I think the social part of it was really a big draw for me. And so, then soccer, softball, and basketball. But yeah. soccer was your big one. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. In college, did you? Play um, in college? So I, I, I got a couple of um, colleges that you know recruited me on my club team. Every single one of the my teammates played in college, except for me, um, and I was you know captain for many years. But that kind of is, I think, one of the signs because at that point I was 18 years old and I had chosen to go to college to go to college and and party. Um, and have a good time and not commit to soccer, which would take away from that. So so I'm thinking right now, this makes me think because I hear this story of, because my daughter's a junior, we talked about this in mm-hmm. high school, looking at schools. Sure. I hear young men and women say, when I went to college, man, it was just freedom. 
Mm. And the the all bets were off and I was in it to win it. Is that something that happened with you? Yeah. Um, or can you identify, can you relate to that? You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, I can definitely identify. Because I'm a little worried about my little girl. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a crazy world out there and I think maybe it's getting worse. I, I'm not really sure. I haven't been to a college party in many years, but um, college for me was where my drinking really took off. It was pretty quick that I noticed, you know, I was not drinking like everybody else in, in college, you know, getting so hung, hung over that I was throwing up till 8 p.m. the next night, that kind of stuff. And having my roommate look at me like, are you crazy? What's going on? You know, um, what school were you at? I went to Bryant University okay. for two years, uh, ended up transferring out of there and, and going to UMass Lowell where I finished. But yeah, for those first two years in college, I mean, I was just a, a bit of a mess. A bit of a mess, for sure. Definitely partying in the number one spot and then school and and, and books and, and learning <laughs> the number two, maybe three spot on the list. Yeah, that's what we do. Yeah, it was, it was a whirlwind. I was so clueless. I mean, you know, I look back now, I, I had no clue. I, I was just, you know, when I look back now, I went to where the parties were. I found them. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's, that's what I did. And... It didn't take, it took two people to have a party. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah. I mean, when they were 40, that was fantastic. Yes. Yeah. But it was all about smoking weed and, 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 and just getting, um, you know, impaired. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think at first it started for me just like everybody else, you know, just Friday and Saturday nights, right? But I was drinking more than I'd say my friends were. And then beyond that, you know, wanting to go out on Thursday and as the time went on, wanting to go out on Tuesday for Taco Tuesdays and getting margaritas and just, you know, the progression of that, um, those two days were not enough. It was like I needed to go out more and more. And it seemed pretty innocent enough at the time just because of, you know, that's what we think is acceptable in college. But um, looking back on it and knowing how things went from there on out. Uh, I see how that was really the star of where it took off for me. Right. Right. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. I know. It just wasn't, it wasn't normal. Like when you're in it, it feels normal, but that's, that's, that's age and wisdom. Like, Mm. I mean, you can look back and you see, I mean, that's life, right? If we knew, if we knew then, yeah, we knew now. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But we don't. Yeah, it's just I so. Mean, yeah, so so two years. It was, two years living in Rhode Island at school yeah. on campus. Um, yeah. and yeah, I mean, I I don't think I could have made it all four. To be honest with you, looking back, I mean, the way that I was drinking, the way that I was partying, um, and I just I started to see my friendships deteriorate because of my drinking. Um, and that's when you know, that's, I think, really again where I started to see how alcohol just was ruling and calling the shots in my life because I could see how, you know, my friends would pull away a little bit. They wouldn't want to spend as much time with me. They would want to do other things. And, you know, of course it was go, go, go in party mode for me. And, you know, that's not normal. What about when, so you're, these are your college friends. Mm -hmm. What about when you came home on break, like your first like Thanksgiving break, everybody goes out. Oh yeah. Did you, were, were your high school, do you, can you look back to that night now and be like, my high school friends were like, what happened to you, Lauren? Or was it? Um, 
Well, I mean, certainly in my story, AJ, like my high school friends who are still some of my closest friends, I have a group of girls. There's nine of us, actually. We go by the nine, um, which is silly. But that's, you know, these are my friends since first grade that we're still best friends. We still talk like every day to this day. And, um, you know, they along the way, I don't know if it was early on in college necessarily, but maybe the end of my college years, they they definitely had some interventions with me over the years because they could see how things were going. Um, And a lot of them would come to visit me at Bryant um, or come to visit me. I would come to visit them and, you know, something bad would always happen. Let's just say that. I mean, whether it be me losing my phone or somebody getting, you know, just having to go to the hospital. Um, There were a lot of situations that happened over the years. And so, of course, there was reason for my friends to interfere and and say, you know, hey, hold on a second. You know, maybe you need to pump the brakes a little bit. Wow. Yeah. Early on. And this was, you know, many years ago now. Jeez, okay. Yeah. Well, they were smart. They were looking out for you, those those girls. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We didn't know. You didn't know. I, I, I don't know if I knew. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I, I was always the smartest person in the room. I always thought I was in control. It's so funny. You talk about, like, something would happen when they come to visit, like, you lose your phone. It's like yeah. saying, it, it just like a drama creator. Oh, chaos. Just absolute chaos all the time. <laughs> like, the, like the guy, a big ball of dust. Yep. Yeah, you never know what you're going to get. Tasmanian devil. Just that's how I was in my life. Really, I was. So I'm interested to see here where this where this goes. Yeah. So, um, you know, graduated from college, got a really good job right out of school. So I've been I've had a career in sales. Um, I got most outgoing in high school was my superlative. So like I just have that kind of personality. I thrive on like the competitive aspect of sales. I I, I like to be the best, you know, that kind of thing. So made a career in sales, got a job working for a Fortune 500 company right out of college, you know, an entry level sales position, which was awesome. But, you know, quickly, again, it's all about the social aspect. It's all about the partying. And that job kind of slipped through my fingers. Um, You know, I had worked there for about a year uh, and it just wasn't working out and I got let go. And so from there, you know, I said, what am I going to do next? Um, My father is in the appliance industry. So I got into like selling appliances for a while, was doing well, but um, ended up getting into a relationship. And that is really kind of when my drinking really, really took off. And we're talking everyday drinker. Um, started hiding alcohol, those kinds of things. Um, the, the things that we, you know, say were really the turning point. Um, you know, I was living in Woburn at the time and he was playing sports like hockey at night and I would just come home on my way home from work and I would pick up alcohol, hide it all over our apartment. And, you know, I'd be blacked out, passed out every time he would come home and, um, I'd get up the next day and I'd do it all over again. I managed to, you know, hold down the job, but they could certainly tell, I think, even at work that something just wasn't right or something wasn't going well. And um, and you were working with family at this point. Well, I, my, my father, I, he was he's in the appliance industry. He helped me get a job at an appliance store in Boston. OK. And so I worked there for a few years and was a salesperson there. Uh, learned a lot of, you know, really valuable skills there and loved the job had a lot of awesome friends and and enjoyed it quite a bit but 
Um, but my relationship was deteriorating um, due to the fact that I could not stop drinking. And um, it got physical at some points. You know, we had a lot of confrontations. Uh, we had a lot of really bad moments. And, you know, it was really looking back all about drinking for me and my problem. But I ended that relationship and not not long after is when I decided um, I, I need to start over somewhere else like many of us alcoholics do. And I made the decision I was going to move. Mm. Um, and I, I decided Denver sounded like an awesome place for me to go. Perfect place for an alcoholic. Oh, right? yeah. Or an addict. Oh, an, or an addict. Yes. Or if you like mushrooms, it's legal then. Yeah, now. now it's legal. <laughs> what do you know? Um, so I made the decision to, to move out to Denver and sought out work out there, um, found a, a job at an appliance store out there. And um, <clears throat> Now so. I know where to go when I need a microwave, right? Yeah. Exactly. Or a refrigerator. Is exactly. that what we're talking about? Yeah. No, I'm not in the industry anymore, but okay. um, it was, but I was what, for many years. I know a lot of people. Yeah. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Like when you say appliance industry? Absolutely. So did your dad, um, did he own a company or did he just work for a big he company He works for um, a, a major appliance company. Okay. So he, right. um, yeah, he's been in the industry for 30 plus years, so. Um, so he got me into it and yeah. it was, it was awesome. It served its purpose. It helped me with a lot of sales skills that helped me, I think now later in my career, but yeah. In Denver. So I moved out to Denver, Holy AJ. Smokes. Um, it was, and I don't, I didn't, I knew a couple people from college. I mean, barely. Who lived there. Who lived there, grew up there. And, but I didn't know anybody else. No family there. Nobody have a pretty bad drinking problem at this time. And um, I was starting to dabble before I left into drugs a little bit, cocaine mo mostly. That was my drug of choice. Uh, and then I moved out to Denver. I left everybody behind. And I said, you know, on the outside, I said, I'm going to start my life over. But on the inside, I think I was thinking now I can drink and drug like I really want to. And no one's going to tell me I can't, you know. So and that's mm. exactly what happened oh, when yeah. I got there. Yeah. A recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. Yes, it was. And it was a long road. Um, so it only took me 10 months to lose my job out there. Mm. Um, they quickly found out that I had a some kind of problem. You know, at, at some point they had a little intervention for me there saying, you know, maybe you should get some help. Um, you know, your job will be here for you when you get back from that. And I didn't take that very seriously. You know, I said, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. Took a couple weeks off continued to party and drink and drug and came back to my job and they let me go. And, you know, I held on to that resentment for a long time. Like, how could they drop me on my ass? They brought me out to Denver. They literally moved me out there, you know, um, to work for them and then drop me quickly. And I, and I, how, how dare they do that to me? And it's, it's really sad thinking, you know, I'm just writing my fourth step now. And, of course, that's one of my resentments. And it's like, you know, they gave, I gave them every reason. They they found out that I had used drugs in the office with another employee. You know, I was just showing up late. I was just not a good employee. Not a, And this is a family run business. They have they have to protect their reputation. I'm face to face with customers there, you know. But yeah, I lost that job. Your work ethic started to deteriorate. Deteriorate. Certainly. Yeah, um, yeah uh, it did. This happens to alcoholics and addicts. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
But I, I had to prevail because I wasn't going to lose because Lauren doesn't like losing. Defend um, my right. Yes. So, um, you know, at this point, I was living in a, a very expensive apartment out there in downtown Denver. I had no means to pay my rent. I was terrified. I was like, I, was I can't say you must have been freaking out I like was, when you got at the, in your sober moments. Yeah. Well, because I had to call my parents and say, hey, I got fired. Um, oh, you so well. You told them. It took me a month, I think. <laughs> at that time, I was using the money I had left, and um, you know, because this job pr- paid pretty well, but I was living in an expensive apartment, and that wasn't going to last unless I found another job. And unfortunately, like I didn't know how to find another job paying that much money. Um, unless I was selling appliances and there weren't a lot of options to sell appliances out there. So, so was your call to your parents, um, because you were like starting, you needed their help? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Oh yeah. And they, they are like, they're the champions of bailing me out always. Um, and that's out of love. Um, I, I know that Mm. and, but they, you know, they helped me out, but in my egocentric mind I said to myself I'm not going to move home because that's failure so I'm going to stick it out I don't care how poor I have to get you know even if I have to move out and go sleep on my friend's couch I'm not going to give up on this Denver thing because I, I don't want people to think that I failed in moving out across the country by myself I want to be victorious in this and I want to do well. So I tried to prevail even through the drinking and the drugging. Um, unfortunately, I, I was hanging around some people that I, you know, I certainly shouldn't have been hanging out with. But when you move to a city where you like to party and you don't know anybody else and you're going to gravitate towards other people who are partying and drinking and going crazy um, and if that's all you know, that's who you're going to stick with. Once you make that first connection, that's who you stick with. It's like glue. You find your pack. Yeah. yeah. And so unfortunately, that that's that's really what happened. But, you know, I had to get a job. So what happened next was really important and it was really... You um, had to pay for that crib, that, that crib well, that was on NTV I ended Cribs. Up, I had to get leave the apartment. My lease ended up being up anyways. Oh. And so I had to downgrade, which was a huge blow to my ego because I was living in a gorgeous downtown Denver apartment. A sign, a God shot. Yeah, oh yeah. God was, I heard somebody share one time, AJ, that, that God's like a GPS and he just keeps like, if you take a wrong left somewhere and you try to take your own will and you take a left, he'll say like, no, take a right, take a right. And he'll just keep trying to correct you. I but like until it. you keep taking that. For me, it was like I was driving around in circles for my whole life without, you know, just trying to ignore the GPS that was telling me to take the directions given, you know? And that's really this, the the whole story for me. <laughs> we yeah. can stop this right now because that's it right there. <laughs> yeah, you weren't ready to give up that. Oh, that. my will or the highway. Um, it was really, that's the bottom line is I just, I didn't want anything else but what I wanted. I had to have it my way. I love that GPS. Yeah. God. Yeah, it was a story. I loved it when yeah, I when I heard it. It was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Could definitely identify. Yeah. Make a right turn, Lauren. Nope. I'm going straight. Oh yeah. It was always just and, and, and that's reroute. The, yeah. Rerouting. Rerouting. Yeah, exactly. But um <laughs> rerouting to Denver. Exactly. Not rerouting to where am I gonna go next? <laughs> it was always pulling me back here, frankly. Yeah, Lauren, you belong home. Yeah. You got an awesome family, a lot of friends that care about you. What the hell are you doing in Denver? 
But, you know, it served its purpose. Yeah, yeah. Um, So you were still there. So I ended up finding another job with a company out there. And um, and miraculously, you know, I kind of gravitated towards the people I was working with and left that group of friends behind. But... I couldn't stop doing drugs. Um, I had a pretty bad cocaine problem at that time. But I thought that I had taken Adderall. I had a very hefty Adderall prescription earlier on in my life in college and then on throughout the years afterwards. And I thought that cocaine was just like Adderall. Like it had the same similar effect on me. Going to help me get be productive, get my job done, be on my A game. Like I, I felt like I was at negative 10, I needed to be at zero and then, you know, be at 10 to be, to really perform in my job. So I got this job in Denver. I ended up, you know, killing it uh, miraculously, despite, you know, I think it was partially because I started moving away from the friends that had kind of been partying and helped me lose my other job. You know, of course I blame them, you know, how we do. Looking back, were those friend friends or were those... Yeah, they were just party friends. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were the other members of the parties yeah. I was at. I at. Um, you don't have any contact with them today? I have a co- I have contact with a couple, but I keep it very high level because they're still living the same lifestyle. Mm. Um, and I, I need to be wary of that. So you're doing fantastic at this new job. Yeah. You kind of left these guys behind. Yeah, so I, I got this new job. I started doing well, and I ended up getting three promotions at this new job within less than two years. And so at the end, I was a sales manager there. So I had a team, um, but I was heavily, heavily using cocaine at this time. Like I'm talking, had my drug dealer come to the office. He would meet me outside on lunch, Um and and this was just kind of the lifestyle, AJ. Like, I know that many of my coworkers were also using cocaine. Um, we would go to happy hour, you know, three or four days a week. And it just was that type of lifestyle. And um, can we talk about that lifestyle for a minute? Sure. Yeah. Because I don't know about the cocaine lifestyle, but okay. I've said on here before, I, I like talking about drugs because I'm... St- I, like I'm, I'm open. I don't know. Like I may be an addict. I don't know. I, I think I think I might be. Like I, I think if I used cocaine, I would be. Yeah. Totally hooked. But um, is cocaine a big problem today? Do you think? But let me let me ask you this. When was this, Lauren? This is you're in Colorado. Yeah. You're using this is cocaine like, with workmates often. And what you when are we talking? How many years ago? Like last year. Uh, this is very oh, okay. recently. Yeah. So cocaine is cocaine a, a big a big thing with 30 year olds you think i think so um because i mean i'm 48 so yeah in my in my like career um and i say that because i want i want we want it out there we want to shed light on this sure yeah i mean i held it down i was you know had six figure jobs like in sales and i i think that most people have been exposed to cocaine in a sales environment Mm. and if if you haven't done it yourself, you've at least heard of someone or know someone that used it for performance enhancement, I yeah. think. And, and that's really what I looked at it. It's just like, you know, performance enhancing drug. Yeah, I mean, PD. that's what that's what it was for me. Right, right. Um, I mean, it makes total sense. Yeah. Unfortunately, it, it will kill you. Yes. And it will make you crazy. I mean, I don't know if I ever had psychosis, but like I was, I was using at, at one point I was using every day and, you know, I wouldn't get 
very good night's sleep and I would feel the effects. It started to make my like memory deteriorate. People would have to like I was living with a boyfriend out there at the time who had no idea, mind you, about my drug use. And, you know, he would have to remind me of certain things. But yeah, it was bad. It was pretty bad. But I think it is to answer your question. I think it's um, at least in Denver. I don't I can't speak for how it is here in Massachusetts because that's where I was for the past almost four years. Um, I just recently moved back here. But um, it was a big it was a big problem. I know people that had problems with it out there for sure. So tell me um, you'd be working. Yeah. You'd call your dealer. Oh, yeah. Text him. And he would come to your work? He would come to my work. I worked downtown Denver. Um, So he would meet me uh, around the block. Uh, I'd go out for a cup of coffee or something. He'd meet me there. And uh, I'd grab from him. And usually, like, I'd grab, like, you know, $60 worth of drugs, um, take it back to the office, and I'd be doing it right away. You know, no shame in my game. I'd just... Go right into it. Um, And then that would last me a couple days. And maybe I'd take a day off. Um, It wasn't like I had a... It wasn't like 24-7 drug use. It was was like, you know, I'd use for two days. I'd feel like, you know, shit. And then I'd take a couple days off. Yeah. Um, knowing that it'd be there it'd be there for me when I wanted it again yeah and of course keep in mind I'm an alcoholic first and foremost and so it coupled really nicely with the alcoholic lifestyle I was leading because I was never really a morning drinker in my drinking days but I like to drink and as soon as you know four o'clock rolled around I was ready for to go head into the bar and get a glass of wine you know, I'd be heading to the liquor store, getting some nips for the ride home. Um, you know, whatever it may be throughout my drinking days, it was time around that time. It's like just like this internal clock. You got to go get some. Oh, I know it. Mm. The, the nips are people ask you what your pet peeve and I joke about it. And it's <laughs> this is this is I mean, obviously, this is it, this is we're talking about a death sentence here. Alcoholism. So. I, I joke about it because it drives me crazy about the nips. Mm. I walk outside here, and there's thirty nip bottles from here to the to the middle school. And sure, you, you know you know where them. It's right there. Yeah. And who drinks nips? Alcoholics. <laughs> who else? I don't know. Right. I don't know. I don't know. The only time I've ever seen my friends who are not alcoholics drink nips is like on the way to a concert, like or something, yeah, where it's like a, it's like a, it's like a just festival. about about the means in which you can you know travel with it. You can hide. Yeah, 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 yeah. But for me, it was not that way. And so I say that because I see them all over the place out here. There's people dying right outside here. Right, right in this neighborhood, drinking nips and throwing them out the window. I mean, it's everywhere, but yeah. you know, it's it's right here. Tons sure. of them, tons. And that's crazy. It's real. It's real. Alcohol is um, it's so widely accepted now that I think people will walk their dog who don't know about this disease mm-hmm. and don't even think about the fact that they're tripping over a nip bottle. Absolutely not. I mean, I, I lived in downtown Denver. I'd walk all over them all the time. Not just nips, like little half, half pines. pines. Yeah. Ooh, I know Everywhere. Those. Yeah. Yeah. 
that Poland spring bottle that you're drinking right now, I pour a half pint into that, mm. hide it in my truck. I mean, talk about spiritual loss of values yeah. and drive my kids to the park because I was a good dad. Yeah. Um, I hear you there. So you're, uh, yeah. So you're meeting your dealer, you're doing, you're, you're doing drugs yep. with your, 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 workmates and things are well yeah and I I wouldn't say I was doing drugs with my workmates I was um you know I know that they were doing it and I was doing it but I was doing it in complete secrecy because in my mind if they were doing it on their own that's cool whatever but I could not have anybody know how many how much drugs I was doing it was my business only my business to know so the only two people who knew how much cocaine I was doing were me and my drug dealer that's it me and him. You had to keep that. No facade, one knew. That mask. No, yeah. No one had a clue. I, I don't think anyone had a clue. Mm-hmm. Not even my boyfriend. I mean, I, I was living with him and he, you know, he was surprised. I had to, I told him when I was in treatment, I had been talking with my therapist while I went, when I went into rehab, um, you know, you got to tell him about the cocaine use. And, you know, I called him in Denver to tell him. And uh, yeah, it was a complete shock to him. Mm. So, I mean, I hit it. Yeah. I mean, even if somebody living with me doesn't know. Oh, yeah. You know, so I don't and I don't think my coworkers knew. I, I think the drinking was harder for me to hide because um, I was a blackout drinker. So like when we would go out for happy hour, you know, I would often blackout. Yes. And um, I just didn't drink like anyone else. I was a I drank differently. It, it, and they talk about the allergy that made so much sense to me. It hit the nail on the head. I was like, it was like the, the sky opened up and it was like, Oh my God, this Same. is, this makes so much sense <laughs> because me. why, why did this, you know, why does it affect me like this? And it doesn't affect them like this. What is happening? You know, it Same. was crazy. Brilliant. Right. I mm. mean, these guys wrote that and it's, it's perfect. It really is. It affects me different than a normal person. Yes. Like peanuts. My friend can't have peanuts because his throat closes. Exactly. But I can eat all the peanuts I want. Uh-huh. And I mean, it. I could see how the allergy, I don't know if it gets worse over time, but my tolerance went down at the end, AJ. Like I would, I used to be able to drink two bottles of wine and be standing, no problem, in like a night. And at the end, you know, I'd have three glasses of wine and I'd be like blacked out really? like it was it was crazy hmm. um did the end come in denver bring me bring me the bring yeah me so i mean everything was going pretty good um work wise was you know things were things were looking up i was you know performing at work um but my relationships were deteriorating i just was so unreliable um i lied a lot everything i did was a lie um and just the whole, my whole existence was the only goal I had was to continue to use drugs and alcohol the way I wanted and to hide that use from everybody around me in my life. That was number one. So I just continued to do that. And then my relationship with my boyfriend at the time started to, to deteriorate. You know, there were, I, I mean, I could go into stories. You know, the, one of the scariest times for me was... I went out for I like we, stories. I'll take a story. We went out for um, at the end of the quarter to celebrate, you know, having a great quarter at work. Okay. Yeah. And um, it was me and my team. And at the time I was on a team and it was all guys. I was the only girl on the team. <clears throat> and um, we went out for uh, margaritas, one of my favorite drinks. Unfortunately, 
they don't agree with me the way they agree with everyone else. But um, I, I all I remember is, you know, we were having a great time, but we started to do tequila shots. And um, the next thing I remember, um, or when I came to, I was laying in my apartment in my bed. Um, and I was wearing a, a hospital Johnny in my own bed. And I remember coming to and I was felt so sick and I was still drunk. Um, and I looked down at my arm and all down my arm were bruises and marks all down my arm as if somebody was trying to get an IV in my arm and couldn't. Um, and, you know, I woke up and my boyfriend was sitting in the other room and I just immediately started crying and. I said, what happened? Um, you know, that's the, that's the scariest and saddest thing in the world and so humiliating to, to have to ask your boyfriend, like, what happened to me last night? He wasn't there. You know, he didn't go out with me and my work friends. But, like, obviously he had somehow gotten involved in whatever happened to me. And, like, I just was so beside myself, you know. I didn't know where my purse was, my shoes. I was in a hospital, Johnny. Like I didn't have my clothes on from the night before. Who undressed me? How did I get like this? I'm wearing a hospital br- bracelet. I have marks all over my arm and I don't remember any of this. And, um, you know, like, oh, that sick feeling. I just, oh man, even just talking about it just makes me feel sick because that's the reality and that's what drugs and alcohol did to me. Um, and that's what would continue to happen to me today if I, if I pick an, up another drink, you know. And I keep those kind of feelings in front because that's something I never want to feel again. But, I mean, those are, those are the things that happened to me, AJ. I mean, that's just one hospitalization. I'm still pay, paying hospital bills from the times I've been hospitalized from alcohol. It's, I'd like to say that that was the last drink, drink I ever had, but it wasn't, you know. And that's, that's the insanity is like, even with, you know, feeling so miserable, like I literally wanted to kill myself. I, I was ready to die. I just wanted to die. I wanted to crawl under a rock and die. But my short-term memory kicks, like, you know, loss kicks in. And 24 hours later, I'm ready to go out for happy hour. Yeah, I mean, you know, thanks for sharing that. Like, it's... And people would see you some people who don't know about this disease may have a friend who does just what you do or a similar story or hear from a family friend that oh lauren ended up in the hospital like and the reaction is why can't she stop why can't she get her life together Mm. and this is what we're trying to do here we're trying to raise awareness that this is a disease if we could stop we would a hundred percent. And I mean, like, that's the thing, too. Like, I went out with work friends, right? So I don't remember the end of the night. But, you know, none of them. All I said to them, like, the next day at work was, you know, please don't say anything to anybody about what happened. You know, and their lips were sealed. Like, they didn't try to, you know, say anything to me. And it, we just moved on. And they were, you know, voluntarily going out for drinks with me the next week at work. It was just like... You know, nobody, when you see somebody and they're behaving that way, that's not normal. 
You know, I and I don't blame them for not sticking up and saying, you know, hey, you have a problem or, you know, that was not their place to say and And not their business and not their business. Exactly. Especially when you're not asking for help. Oh, certainly. I I would have been mortified if they had been like, hey, you should get help. I would have been like, I'm your boss. (laughs) You know, right. right? (laughs) It's so weird. It's upside down world. It's like like, you know, you're living in the upside down. Mm. Things are backwards. A hundred percent. Yep. So mm. I, you know, I wish, like I said, those, those kind of times were enough, but they weren't. And, uh, things just progressively kind of just kept getting worse like that. And, and, um, I'm just lucky I didn't die. I mean, at the end of the day, there's so many stories I could tell of just like me waking up places. I had no idea how I got there. Like no idea, not even little people say gray outs like I would black out so bad I had no idea or recollection of anything that happened Mm -hmm. like the whole time and luckily I think you know towards the end of my drinking I I'd pass out like I'd black out and then I'd immediately pass out so luckily there wasn't a big window of time where I was actually like moving moving around and talking and stuff because I have but in my drinking days, there were like there were plenty of times people would tell me things that I did that I just didn't have any any recollection. Same. Um, I can identify. I I, <clears throat> I was that way at the end too. Mm. And um, but see, we're different because you're very fortunate. Like you say, I'm. I should be dead. Mm. I think that's what I just heard you say. Yes. Or you could be dead. And sure. See, we're we're it's a little bit different for me. And um. But it's the same. We're both alcoholics. We're blackout drinkers. But for me, like I have a family. I have a I have a wife. So a lot of my drinking was done home, mm. and I would black out and I would hit the couch or, or hit the bed. But I I can shit was going on while yeah. while I didn't know and you know I wasn't nice at times and I was doing fucking stupid things mm-hmm. and um yeah so there's so many different ways to get there. Believe me. And, you know, you say you blacked out at home or you would pass out on the couch. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I would go out for happy hour, you know, frequently. But most of my drinking I did in secrecy at home with my boyfriend there. I would have nips hidden in the bathroom. I would be drinking in the bathroom. I would I would be going to take we, we had a brand new puppy and I would take the dog out and I would have nips hidden in his truck and I would go into the truck and I'd be doing, you know, bumps of cocaine and drinking in the truck and then going to walk my dog, going back inside and then pretending like nothing ever happened. And, you know, All within he, a one minute span. hundred percent. It was this most conniving, secretive, disgusting life. Like I just can't, it was so gross. Like, I don't know if you feel that way. Like I just, I get grossed out by what the things that I did, you know, and um, for a while that kept me out there, you know, like I was I just as more and more shit started to accumulate from my drinking, that wall between me and sobriety grew larger and larger. And I felt I wasn't worthy and I wasn't going to ever, you know, be able to get there. And it just wasn't for me. I had made up in my mind like I will never, ever be one of those people that goes to meetings or gets sober. Like, 
that's just not for me. I'm going to keep this in secrecy and I'm going to continue to drink and drug my entire life. So at this point, you it sounds like you had been exposed to recovery. I mean, throughout my drinking. So I had, I had done like a couple IOP programs like outpatient in Denver. Um, no, back in Massachusetts, like for a while um, or f- I had come home to do one um, and then even before that, um, before I moved to Denver, like right between when I moved to Denver, I had done one. Um, and so you were, yeah, you were, but you I was, knew about it. I, I knew about it, but I was drink. I'd leave IOP, go out and go get a drink with a guy I met in IOP, sure. you know? So it was like yeah. a total Got disaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and your defense, your wall is up. I see oh, what yeah. you're saying. You're like, fuck, fuck that. I just, I am, you guys are crazy. I ain't ju- doing it. I just really believed that I was going to learn how to drink like a lady. I mean, th- that oh. was what I really thought was going to happen. Like, I thought that as I got older, um, I would be able to control. It was it, an obsession with the ability to control it and and hide it. Like I said, like that was in the forefront. It was all about hiding and putting up an appearance that I could handle it, you know. But the reality was it was so hard because... I would have three drinks at the end and something switches in me and I'm not the same. And then I lose control. Um, control's gone. So I, I don't, I couldn't hide anymore. I want you to tell somebody who's listening who um, may identify with you, go into a, a, an IOP, go into an outpatient mm. and, and, and checking it out. Um, and they're kind of like on the fence. Like, what? What's something you could tell them that maybe might stick with them? Maybe go back to that that meeting, you know, tonight, or or get make a phone call to somebody in the fellowship today. Yeah, um, I think just like you have to like try it. Um, for me, like I had, I walked into. Um, treatment the first couple of times when I, I, I didn't go into an inpatient treatment until my last time, which I want to hear about. Right. But. We'll get there. But, um, but in the first few times, like I went in with the mentality, like I'm not going to, I'm not here to get sober. So like, if you're not there to get sober, what are you there to do? Well, why did you go then? That's what I want to know. Like, that's the question. Like if oh, you did don't you check, did you sign up? My family wanted me to go. Uh. Um, I certainly got kind of booted in the ass from them to get, you know, some help, but like, I never really, like, if you don't, I think the, my point I'm trying to make is, is if you don't set an intention, then you're not going to get anything out of it. And, um, for me, I didn't set any intention. I just Mm -hmm. went there to just socialize and, you know, like I said, learn how to, to control my drinking better. Yeah, so I mean, if I'm hearing you correctly, we're talking about honesty. It's like we're telling somebody who's listening, dude, this is where it's at. I mean, are you are you are you ready? Like, are you fucked up? Are you addicted? Are you an alcoholic? Can you control your booze? No. Yes. What is it? I mean, let's get honest. Right, and I think part of that is just like I didn't know in in the first programs I went to, I knew nothing about alcoholism, so. Like if I could tell somebody some advice, I'd say learn about what alcoholism is because, you know, it's it's the inability to stop once you start and it's the inability to stay stopped once you stop. And, And if if you identify with those things, you might have a problem. Nobody told me that my whole time 
going to ILPs or whatever, like I knew nothing about the allergy. I knew nothing about restless, irritable discontent. I knew nothing about the obsession. I knew none of it. Mm -hmm. And my advice would be pick up the big book. You might not know what you're reading at first, but like just try to like read about more about alcoholism, read Bill's story and all those kind of things. Like Read the doctor's opinion. The doctor's opinion. How could I forget? Yeah. No, no, no. I'm just saying, it's, you know, Google it. Google, yeah. Google it, big book doctor's opinion, whoever's but, listening, and see if see if you can identify with what this what this says. Like, ha, had do I, it. Had I known yeah. that that was what yeah. this was. It's, it's priceless literature out there. It's like, it's like there's a, it's like there's a cure for pancreatic cancer. It's all, and, and nobody's reading it. Exactly. You know, there's a cure for this illness, this disease that we have. Whoops. That's not what I meant to say. I don't believe there's a cure to the disease of alcoholism. There's a cure to other diseases like smallpox and malaria, but not this one. There's a solution, though, and the solution can be found in the literature that we were just speaking about. It's it's the literature is this big book. It's called the big book. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. I mean, it's like anything. You know, are you going to read it because you want to read it or are you going to read it because somebody's telling you to read it? I think that's the key. Like, And I want to say one more thing. Sure. I'm sorry, Lauren. No, you're fine. But. You don't have to, because I'm not a big reader. My family loves to read. I'm not a lover of reader, but I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll read. I'd rather hear from somebody. Sure. So either read it or get your ass around somebody who knows about it. Yeah. And this can all happen if you're honest and if you're open-minded. If you put those two things together, you can get well. Yeah, I would say 100% because for me, it wasn't I didn't go out, pick up the big book and say, oh, I'm going to start reading it. I went to a 12-step program. And so, I mean, I heard I hear on your podcast that you talk about Banyan. So I think it's okay for me to say, and I don't know if it is okay for me to say, but that's where I went to treatment. Oh, yeah. There's no reason to um, say I want to hear that. Yeah, I say it because I... I this is a non-revenue stream yeah. podcast. <laughs> yeah. I say I offer two or three recovery treatments yeah. at the beginning yeah, in the hopes that somebody's listening or a loved one of somebody's listening and they have no idea where to look. Yes. They could be like, I think I heard that on, on that podcast. Let me, let me hit play and hear the beginning of it. Yeah. I mean, but for me, like that was my exposure to like the 12 steps or at least to the big book and the concept. And, but I think I really want to, to make sure that it's clear because like that was a really huge defining moment in my sobriety this time compared to the other times I tried to get sober. I say that in quotation marks because I never knew what that meant. Like I thought I partied too much. I didn't know I had an, I was an alcoholic. I didn't know. Um, And that's a huge, when you're trying to beat something or fix something and you're trying to fix the wrong problem you're not going to get very far and so for me it was like I had to understand that I was an alcoholic before I could do anything about it or have any success so critical 
it was really important for me. So I think it, if you, it, the reason I suggest the big book, or I think the big book is so great, is because there's stories in the big book that like, I identified with like the jaywalker, like, you know, it's like, how many, how many times do you want to get, you know, hit by a train and just keep walking across the road in front of it? Like, um, there was just so many stories in the big book, like that I, you know, going and, you know, mixing the whiskey with, with the glass of milk. Um, there was just so many good stories. Like, and if you are the real thing, like I am, you'll identify too. And I think that that's what a defining moment in an alcoholic's life, if you want sobriety or if you think that you have a problem or things are, you know, the problems are mounting up for you. If you can learn about what you have, I think that's important to your recovery. Very important. Yes. Learning about what you have. That's it. We have it. Mm -hmm. We didn't know. How can we learn about it? Mm -hmm. Like what? Talk about baffling. Yes. And psychotic. You you nailed it. I'm trying to fix all these problems. It's like I think of the cartoon. The guy's got a hole in the wall and he in the bucket and he puts all his finger on one and then you spring a leak in somewhere and you're trying to yes. fix all these holes in the bucket. Good for you for bringing up the stories in the back of the big book. This yeah. is and we are I'm you know I we're not affiliated with with AA at all. We mm-hmm. don't we don't speak for for that program as a whole. Some people who come on this podcast Use that program. Sure, it yes. Works. Yeah. But these stories in the back of the book are awesome. And mm-hmm. like you said, Lauren, if if you can identify with some of them, you know, chances are you may have an issue. You may have a problem. And it's okay, though. Yeah, I love it. It's like if you don't think you're an alcoholic, go to your near, nearest bar room and keep drinking and you'll figure it out pretty you will. quickly. That's dangerous, I know. Don't recommend. Do not you recommend. Know, it's but... like they say, yeah, they say go try and have one I but that's how I I had to figure it out for myself man you know like I just like I had the scariest thing about the progression of the disease for me was at the end when I had both hands on the steering wheel of my boyfriend's truck and was saying out loud literally out loud to myself do not go to the liquor store do not turn into that liquor store and both my hands slowly turned and somehow I wasn't pulling into a parking spot in front of the liquor store um, you know, I could, I, the choice was out, was gone and I, there was no turning back anymore for me. Like I, I couldn't deny anymore that I had no choice. So that was the turning point for me. So like, I think, you know, I could keep trying to drink, but at the end I didn't want to, <laughs> I think that's the scariest part is not wanting to and, and doing it anyways. Same. Wow. I could, I had that. That's part of my story too. I, would get out of work and drive to a liquor store and be like, why am I doing that? Mm. So was that the last night? Was that, was that the, no. So the the show just kept going on. (laughs) Um, I came home for Christmas break, AJ. And like my relationship with my boyfriend in Denver had started to majorly deteriorate because of my alcoholism. And, you know, work was going fine, but I had realized that like, I couldn't continue this cocaine habit. I, it was costing me a lot of money, first of all. And, you know, it's not like, it, it just, it, it was, I knew it was not right. And I knew that spiritually, I was at an absolute low. Um, I was like thinking about dying all the time. Um, not killing myself, but I was 
really thinking about just not existing anymore, giving up the fight of 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 this life that I was living. Because like I said, I think it's critical for me to repeat is like I convinced myself I would never be sober. Like sobriety was not an option. It was never going to happen because I had tried hundreds of times you know, without telling anybody, but like in my own way to try to stop drinking and using drugs and like it never worked. And so I just, I had convinced myself like when I, when I come to some kind of conclusion, I stick with it. And like, I had firmly started to believe like there was just no chance sobriety was going to happen. So feeling like you want to die, feeling like sobriety is not an option. Like, what do you do? Like I was in purgatory. Like I was just very scared very living in constant fear and just barely getting by. Like I was putting a face on every day. I was a leader at work. So I had a team of, you know, reps that like looked up to me for guidance. And, you know, I just tried so hard to just put this face on, but I was like going home at night and just wanting to just scream and just throw things across the room and just like this incredible feeling like I'm on fire inside. And at the same time, like feeling nothing at all. It was just like this wildly horrible pit. I can imagine like that's like hell, like on earth. It's you're spiritually at a bottom, a low. And um, that's really how I felt. It was just like, how am I going to continue to wake up and do this all over again every day? I can't do it anymore. So I ended up coming home for Christmas with my boyfriend and we came home to Massachusetts with our puppy and I saw my family and I ended up getting blackout drunk on Christmas Eve and I pretty much ruined Christmas for my family. But I knew, I said to myself, I'll never forget, um, that night when I was drinking, I said, this is it. I'm coming to an end here and something's going to happen. I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's bad, but like finally, like I had had this boiling point of just terrible misery. And I, I knew that the drink, it was either going to kill me or I was just going to have to somehow put it down. But I had a full bottle of wine. I drank it on Christmas Eve, ruined Christmas. But, um, that was when my family and my boyfriend said to me at the time, you're going to get some help. And I said, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> like, I, I I exhaled, you know, I was so scary, but I was ready. I was like, please help me. Like, what else do I have to lose? You know, I, I really don't have anything else to lose at this point. Like things are only going to get worse. But um, spiritually, was, I was at a really, really low bottom. That was a big, that was a change. Like, you no longer, that wall came down. Mm. The wall to sobriety came down it just it just seemed like it was such a horrible cycle of of just every day the same groundhog day you know like just picking up again feeling the same way anytime any kind of sort of uncomfortable feeling just picking up like it was just like a reflex you know and I just didn't want to do that anymore and even though I didn't want to that wasn't enough so I was like okay there's some some kind of secret that I don't know about because I see these people in life that have all these years of sobriety and I have no idea how they're doing it. So me being a nosy and, um, you know, 
wanting to know everything, know it all. I had to know. Like if they have something, then they they obviously there's they're doing something, and I got to figure it out. I can't just not try it, right? So I said okay, and um, you know then. I did my research with my family over Christmas break and made the decision through the grace of God to choose Banyan Treatment Center in Wilmington, Massachusetts. And they were so wonderful to me on the phone that I had like this overwhelming feeling like this is going to be good. So I had a sense of positivity. It was like this little tiny crack in the door with Mm. like a little light beam coming through. And I was like, okay, maybe this could be good. And I was like excited, you know, for the first time in a long time, like that maybe I didn't have to die like this and maybe I didn't have to kill myself. and Maybe I didn't have to be miserable. And I packed a bag and said goodbye to my boyfriend. And um, he flew back with the dog to Denver. And I went into treatment for, for I didn't know how long, but um, that's when things changed. How how does that work for somebody who is wondering about treatment? So um, you make a phone call. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty st- simple. I, I think, you know, they asked me a few questions. Do you use drugs? Do you, you know, do, are you an opiate user? I wasn't. Um, do you, um, how much alcohol do you drink a day? I think they asked me. I mean, and I, I think they were asking because they obviously need to determine whether or not I need detox. I did not because I was not an everyday drinker. I just was a really bad binge drinker at that time. So I wasn't, I didn't need to go in a detox. So they were like, okay, so you can definitely come to us. And Do they have a detox unit there? They don't, oh. um, but they do recommend, like I think they send people to a few different ones. Like I had a lot of, I don't know if Banyan recommends any, but I have personally have friends that went to Serenity, which is like a really good detox I hear. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's fine. No, I was just wondering if they have one. So you didn't, yeah, you didn't no. need one. So I didn't you went need there. one um, because I hadn't been using drugs. Like for me, the alcohol, I think was, I, I was using cocaine to get me to perform and stuff like that. But I didn't feel like withdrawal symptoms from not using cocaine. So I, I stopped using cocaine before I came home for Christmas break, did not bring any drugs with me. Didn't need them? And didn't need it. Like, so I really wasn't like dependent as much. It was more the alcohol for me. Like I couldn't go a few days without, it was hard. That was really hard without at least sneaking or trying to drink, you know, but. So you don't think cocaine's a, you don't think, are you an addict or no? I, I think so. Um, I think I mean, I didn't, I personally, like I've had Vicodin and, you know, probably Percocet in my life with soccer injuries. I had surgery and I had my wisdom teeth out, but I never like liked those drugs. I didn't like feeling that way. Ah. Um, So I'm not one of those people that says like, oh yeah, you give me any drug and I'll take it and I'll, you know, I'll get addicted to it. I don't think that. Um, Maybe I would. I don't know. Maybe yeah. I would. I can't really say. Okay. But, but um, for me, yeah, I'd, I'd say... I was using cocaine every day, so that would make me an addict, I think. Yeah, but wouldn't, wouldn't, and I'm not, I, I, I'm not a specialist, but, um, if, if you're not craving it, if you're not, uh, if you can just stop, isn't it like, I could stop, but I knew that I would, like you said, I knew it would be right there when I wanted to pick it back up again. Yeah, we're all right. Right. So to yeah. me, like I couldn't stay stopped. Yeah, no. I could stop for a few days, but yeah. as I'm long just, as it was still going to be there when I wanted it again. Yeah, 
So in my mind, yeah, that, I guess that makes me an addict. I yeah. No, and I ask because I'm it's a the good same. question. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering about me too. Like I have my a good friend of mine is she's in Narcotics Anonymous. Oh, okay. She's, oops. Um, been clean for I think you know twenty eight years or something like sure. that. Sure. And there's a there's there's a difference. Like a, there, there is a difference. I'm not. I don't know what that is. I'm gonna have her on here, and we'll have some conversations about this. But yeah, um, it's all good. It's all healthy. You know, if if you're trying to do it and you know you can't do it alone, I think that you're in a good spot. You know? Yeah. So um, that's the only reason I I, I was asking about yeah. that. But um. So you you go to Banyan. Mm. How many? How long were you there? I was there for a while. Um, I was in the girls' house there for twenty seven days, um, but I stayed in IOP for over two months. So I was going five days a week for over two months, which is more than what most people do there. Um, but I felt like I wanted to and I needed to, nice. because here's the thing for me: I'm pretty competitive. <laughs> And I figured, like, if I'm going to go, if I'm going to take a leave of absence from work and go through all this trouble, like, I really don't want to do this again. And um, I want to get it right. And when my sobriety date started, the countdown was on of, like, how many days I could collect. And I wanted to continue to build that. And I'm like, I, I don't, I know that's probably crazy to some people. but And they say don't obsess over how much time you have. Like, that keeps me going. Like, I like counting my days I like counting the hours <laughs> like I to me that's an accomplishment I'm I'm like one of those people that is driven by goals so you would like the app there's an app out there that you can it might cost I think it might cost you two bucks or something like that I can show it to you though um, it calculates how much money you save daily weekly monthly and yearly Ooh, <laughs> I have the hour counter but that sounds really good yeah yeah, that's that's that would be a, yeah. A nice so you're one. competitive. You want to beat this fucking thing. Yeah. So so I mean, I I went in like you know, um, and I or not beat it, but you want to keep it controlled. I'm talking about al- alcoholism. We need, to, we need to keep it under control. Sure. Just like a cancer, just like diabetes. We need to. It's in us, not going away. It's a progressive disease. It's constantly growing, worsening. Unless we treat it. Absolutely. It's a, it's a fact. And I, I really think that um, I was excited once the obsession went away. And I can talk a little bit about that. But like I see now how like this is an opportunity for me to help people. Um, and this has is God's gift to me. If I wasn't an alcoholic, I don't think I would reach people in the way that I've been able to, even in my five months going on six months of sobriety. So like, I feel like I, through this whole experience, like there's been difficulties of course, but like it's been such an incredible life changing. They say you get rocketed into the fourth dimension. Um, I'm on that rocket ship right now. So it's awesome. Mm. It's so good. And we've, we talked about that fourth dimension and, um, it's almost like inside, it's almost like the spiritual part, like to be able to have life stuff go on around you, be able to have, I, you know, I have a friend whose brother-in-law just passed away suddenly. Mm. This stuff comes and to be able to, um, Weather that storm with some peace and to be there for other people, mm. 
is to me like the fourth dimension and to not even think about it. Yeah. Like to not, I used to, I used to want to be everybody else around me. I wanted to be him, 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 and him. I didn't know what I was. I didn't know what I had. And I feel like, you know, kind of like that I have a connection with God now and, and, and I have an idea you know, I'm around people who I want to be like. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, and and I tell, try to tell the truth. I mean, when I don't, I fess up. Or if I fuck up, I try to make it right. And all of this stuff, to me, leads to that that fourth dimension. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. And I can, you know, I have um, a story, a third step story about helping somebody else and and stuff too. But I think since we're talking about my time and and going into Banyan, like I think it's important for me to, to share if I'm sharing my story, I want people to understand that I was so obsessed with drinking and drugging and I believed in my heart to my core that I couldn't stop. Like, I think if I was somebody like hearing that, I would want to know how that went away. Um, so if it's okay with you, I'd love to talk about how that happened. (laughs) Um, it was really simple. Um, People told me that if I got down on my knees in the morning and prayed to God, a God of my understanding, that I would um, remove the obsession. And and I didn't know what that meant, to be honest. I was still learning about what this whole disease was. All I know is like I kept a journal when I first got into the Banyan house and I um, would write about how like all I could think about was getting on an airplane at Logan back to Denver drinking dirty martinis until you know I couldn't drink anymore and like I would write that in my journal and um you know I couldn't stop thinking about getting out of the house and drinking and like that was frustrating to to my core but people said get down on your knees in the morning and and ask God to remove the obsession and I was like okay so at first you know you if you haven't prayed in years you don't really know what to do but I just literally said God, okay, um, please remove the obsession to drink and drug from my mind. Like, I didn't know what to say. I grew up Catholic, but like, I I was like trying to talk in like a prayer way. But I think just actually just saying what I, I was asking him for just blatantly worked pretty good because, you know, I think it was probably 10 days into my treatment there. And um, I had decided to go back into my journal and read what I had written in the fr- first few days and I, it dawned on me in that moment, like 10 days in a treatment that I hadn't thought about a drink or a drug in about, you know, several days. And it was, I think, because, or the only thing I had changed that was different was the prayer. And I, I know it's silly or if somebody's thinking that, you know, okay, yeah, you could be obsessed with drugs and alcohol for all those years. And all of a sudden you just ask God to take it away. And it just works. And I'm like, yeah. It's, I wish, like, I mean, I think it may be, I don't know. I, I, I got to stop thinking so much about what other people think about my story. Like, it is my story. It happened the way that I'm telling it. Um, I honestly was ready to surrender to this horrible disease that had taken so much away from me and hurt so many of my relationships in my life. And I honestly asked God for help. And I think that he... And I, whatever relationship that we had at that moment, like, and I was ready and willing to let him into my life and to help me 
with this horrible problem because I had certainly tried to do it myself and never had any success. Um, I think that was why it worked because I really needed, I needed help and I asked for it honestly. And I had just, I had to have faith that, that there was something bigger than me, just like they, they say, you know, and it, it was that simple. I, I don't want to overcomplicate it. And I think that people should have hope that it could be that simple for them too. And people that say that they've tried it and, and it hasn't worked. Like, I, I honestly wonder if, if you know, I, I, it's not my place to judge someone else's process, but like, are you really being honest? You have to really be honest and willing. And if you really are, I think you'd be surprised about how quickly the change can happen. It's like a, it was like a switch for me. Like, and it was my hope didn't come back overnight. You know, it, the obsession went away overnight, but my hope slowly had to come back that my life could improve. Right. But the fact that like all of a sudden I was no longer obsessing over drugs and alcohol, like that was that quick for me. Mm. And that's a miracle to me. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's good. So, um, so how do you do it now? Where, so where, so you're 90, no, you're five months. Five so months, you're, yeah. It's like five months sober. Yeah, and, I have um, like 154 days or something. I don't know. 154 days, I don't know. I bet you know exactly <laughs> how many days you have. I think that might be right. Ah, there's no <laughs> doubt it's right. Um, so you're new. You're new in sobriety. Yeah. And um, there's a good quote here it talks about newcomers yep um this is from page 164 of that book we were talking about earlier abandon yourself to god as you understand god admit your faults to him and your fellows clear away the wreckage of your past which i mean takes some work Mm, sure does give freely of what you find and join us we shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. Mm. God bless you and keep you until then. I love that. And the really cool thing is the thought to consider below it is newcomers are the lifeblood of the program, but our old timers are the arteries. Yes. So it takes it it's it takes everybody. You know, you're new, you come in, you're scared shitless. I sat in the back of that room. I did not want to be there. I did not, I had no clue what the hell, the, the, I didn't know what I had. Yeah. But we Googled Alcoholics Anonymous. I ended up at a meeting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think too, like um, for me, I couldn't open myself up to learn anything or be productive or change or get better until I stopped beating myself up for all the shit I had done. Um, Cause I was like uh, being, being that kind of type person, you know, the goal oriented, you know, the outgoing, like the achieving, you know, constantly pushing myself. I was really hard on myself about this whole thing. Cause I had a big, big mess behind me everywhere I went. Um, and that was hard and it's still hard, but like, I know that I'm not going to be able to make up for the things that I've done or be any sort of positive influence in anyone else's life. If I'm too busy sitting in a room beating myself up for the things I've done in my past. Mm -hmm. And like, that's another thing that I think is important is like, I, 
as a newcomer, like I, I need to build this foundation, but I'm not going to, you can't do anything if you're too busy, like living in the guilt and the shame. And like, I, they told me that at Banyan, you know, immediately. And my sponsor tells me and all, you know, everyone I hear, like, whether it be like we were talking, we were texting last night about doing step work. Um, you know, you said you were t- really hard on yourself about your step work and judging yourself. I'm the same way. Like, uh, am I doing this right? Is this good enough? Is this honest enough? And it's just like, you know, kind of having to let go a little bit and just trust that like, if you're putting an honest effort in, um, and letting all the other shit just like go, um, and just trying to do do the right things yeah um that's the only way you can really go about it yeah when you're on i'm learning that yeah no you're doing i mean you're doing great you're doing great it's great to have you i really really appreciate you coming on i mean you know you talk about you want to help people i love that you saw me give him the fist pump there yeah if you did enough but it's like you're gonna help you're gonna help some people I mean, you are going to help some people. I hope so. Um, Cause like the only people that have ever really been able to help me, AJ, as much as my family and my friends have tried to help me, like the only people who have actually really made actual help in my recovery are other alcoholics. So guess what? Like I'm an alcoholic. I can help other alcoholics yes, you now, can. you know? Yeah. Uh, you and can. that's, I was mentioning a quick story from my third step I did a couple months ago and um, I was, you know, I, I took an honest third step, the best of my ability. Right. And, um, I was supposed to go to a meeting the next day and I really didn't feel like it, um, was not feeling that great, did not want to go, but it was my first time going to this meeting. So the meeting ended up being my home group. Now it's today my home group, but I was like, all right, fine. I'll just go to this meeting. I just really didn't feel like it, but I was like, whatever I get lost trying to go to the meeting. I couldn't find it. Finally, I get in there. The place is, you know, pretty filled up. But there was this one row of seats and there was only one girl sitting in the row. And um, so I was like, okay, I'll I'll go and sit in the row. And um, I sit down and I look over to my right and it's a girl I went to high school with. And I couldn't believe my eyes. And I was like, hey. And, um, you know, I said her name and she was like, she didn't recognize me at first. And then she did. And um, I was like, oh, my God, do you come to this meeting often? Like, I'm thinking about making this my home group. I wanted to come and check it out because, like, it's so local for us. And she's like, no, Lauren, um, this is my first AA meeting ever. And um, I said, oh, my God. And mind you, I had maybe 90 days uh, at the time. And, you know, I was like, I had just literally the day before done my third step. And all I could think was like, okay, God, here's my project. Like, I guess this is what you want from me to help somebody right away. Right. And, um, you know, her and I had played soccer growing up together. You know, she was like, she played college soccer and stuff too. And just went, you know, she's a brilliant girl, wonderful person. Um, but she reeked like alcohol at the meeting and I could tell like her alcoholism was in full 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 swing mm-hmm. uh, and she told me very quickly you know I can't stop drinking I can't stop she was an everyday drinker morning day and night um, and uh, long story short um, you know I had been trying to take her to meetings with me um, you know I would text her you know very frequently and and sometimes hear back sometimes not 
But just trying to bring around to introduce her to my sponsor, introduce her to some of my network that I created in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and just trying to do the next right thing. I mean, you know, I tell the story that at one meeting I was at with my sponsor at the end of the meeting, they say, if you're willing to help a newcomer, please raise your hand. And I tell the story that my sponsor, you know, when they said that I wasn't raising my hand and my sponsor nudged me like hard in the arm and it was like, get your hand up. And at the time I had like 60 days, you know, but I think that's the point is like I learned very on in my sobriety, like it's never too you're never too early on in sobriety to help somebody else. Yeah, because sure. you're all the same. You've all we all are the same, right? Um, well, there's a lot of levels of helping. Yes, exactly. So you're not going to go do twelve step work with that program with that. Oh young no, girl. Yeah, but shaking the hand of a newcomer sure. is the be- most help you could ever give somebody at that point. A hundred percent. Yes. So you're correct. You're never too exactly and so too um, new to help somebody. so with with my friend that i saw at the meeting um i or maybe you are gonna go to do 12 step with that girl no <laughs> no i i and then she asked me she's like could you sponsor me i'm like no like i'm not i'm, I'm ready my fourth step but maybe someday you'll sponsor will help i'll you help you yeah, yeah exactly i yeah. i of course my my sponsor is she's a superhero uh, um so she her. yeah i had to i had to introduce her to to this girl nice and, she ended up having something really bad. She had a DUI and she, I hadn't heard from her in a couple of weeks and she had a DUI and she called me and, um, she said, uh, yeah, I had a DUI and I said, it's okay. And I said, maybe, you know, are you thinking about treatment? You, you know, whatever. And I had told her all about Banyan. But long story short, she's, she went to Banyan and, and, miraculously as we tell the story she's actually getting discharged today from banyan she did her 30 days in banyan um and so she's doing great she's doing well so that's great um but yeah like i I think that that's important too is like you're never too you're never too new to help someone that's new (laughs) you're never too new to help somebody that's new yeah Yeah. shake somebody's hand you know how good that makes somebody yeah or how about less than that smile at them oh yeah definitely that's that helps there's a wide range of help there. And you mm-hmm. know, like you said, you know, you, you you have a good sponsor. You can run these things by her. Mm-hmm. Am I ready? You know, this person asked me to be a sponsor. All these, you know, all these oh, that's yeah. why you have that's why we have sponsors. Yeah, she's she's been amazing and like the work that like I do with her, she just has a way, you know, Jan's her great grand sponsor. Holy so gross. she she's my great she's my great grand sponsor. Mm. So I come from a long line of Janites. Sure <laughs> mm. Um but yeah I'm my, careful not to talk about you. She hates it when you talk about her. Oh yeah, I know. She's like, it's not me. Yeah, that's it, and she does it for all the right reasons, obviously. Oh, she's awesome. She is she's wonderful. helped me there's wonderful. so many wonderful women that have helped me yes. tremendously in this program yes. and yes. men yes. um you know i definitely just I, I think it's just so cool how it's the first place like i've ever come that people like genuinely cheer you on from the moment that you get there it's like they really do want you to do well no one's like saying like oh yeah that girl yeah hopefully she doesn't come back to this meeting right like no one would ever say that it's like such a positive and wonderful loving environment and people do really cheer you on and genuinely happy for you you know yes and and we'll do things for you like a phone call and they're there oh yeah you know time yeah well it's been let's see an hour and a half (laughs) 
So it's been great, Lauren. Yeah. Really appreciate you coming in. Of course. Doing mm. some service work this morning. Mm. Beautiful day outside. We can get out of the studio now. Sure. I want to do one outside, I think. If it's not windy, I think I think yeah. this would work. Set up a but little barricade. But it was barricade. a little wind today. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe just hope for a non-windy day. Yeah. But you're a wonderful young woman. You have Thank a, you. I mean, it's just great. I'm glad to meet you. Yeah. And we'll, we'll see each other. We'll, Absolutely. you know, we'll see each other over there getting yeah. well together. Thank you so much for having me on. It really means the world to me that, um, you know, I'm in a position to be able to talk about things like this. Uh, the miracles keep on happening and uh, I'm going to keep coming. So. Awesome. Awesome. All right. That's it. We're done. Thank you. All right. Bye, Lauren. <laughs> bye. <laughs> yeah.